You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Whenever you see something, sometimes there's a correct response to what you see, isn't there? So if you're driving along a road and you catch in your, your mirror, I don't know what one's called, your mirror, rear view mirror, and you see blue flashing lights, your aim suddenly becomes not to get to wherever you're going as quickly as possible, but it's really to let the ambulance or the police or the fire brigade pass you as quickly as possible. Isn't that right? Or maybe if we see a funeral come along, we would, there's a correct response. And normally, and I suppose maybe it's past now, you'd, you'd stop, wouldn't you, normally? And well, there's a correct response in terms of what we see at different times. And well, whenever we see the glory of God, Isaiah 6, there's a correct response too. And we see that throughout the Scripture also. And in the first five chapters of Isaiah, they have been really quite heavy, haven't they? We have seen over and over again Israel's failure to live as God's holy people. Uh, And they do not respect God. They do not obey God. In Isaiah uh, chapter 5 and verse 30, where we ended last week, if they continue to be unresponsive to God's grace, what are they told? That darkness will descend upon them. How can, there, how can there be any hope for them, it seems? It seems, though, as they reject God's grace, that that would be it. But even as they reject God's grace, their only hope in it all is not doing good enough. There's, their hope still is God's grace. And in the next chapters of Isaiah, from 6 to onwards to we finish our little bit in Isaiah, it's all about the power of God's grace. And that's what we're going to see. And here we have in chapter 6, Isaiah meeting with God. And well, one day we too will all meet God. If our sins have been covered and they are cast away through the blood of Jesus, if we trust in him, we'll be washed white as snow, picking up imagery from chapter 1. And well, if that is the case for us, we have no need to fear. We will meet God as our Savior. But if our sins aren't covered, if our sins aren't washed white as snow, if they're not cast away, well, God will see him only as judge. And well, in Isaiah chapter 6 here, we, we remember the Old Testament, whenever they give a date or something happens, it's very important. Well, here it's the, in the year that King Uzziah died. And why we are told that? Well, it's also the year in which Jeroboam, the northern king, died. So Israel split into two. Judah is the southern kingdom, and this is where Isaiah is in Jerusalem. But also in the northern kingdom, their king died. And that would be a turning point for both nations. Because then the other nations see that as a point of weakness. Both so happen to die at the same time, roughly. So they're going to come in. And it will be a turning point because here Assyria is going to see the weakness and points before they could recover and grow again. Later, the kingdoms would ask Egypt for help, the long, long enemy. They're asking Egypt to, to, to help them. But here, Uzziah, he started off as a really good king. He started off as a king at 16. In Second Chronicles 26, we're told that he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. But that didn't last for very long. And he committed an act of sacrilege in the temple. You can read about it in that chapter. And he suffered the consequence of his sin was that he suffered from leprosy the rest of his life, that he was unclean the rest of his days. And here is the temple where Uzziah committed sacrilege, where Uzziah would be punished for forever with his uncleanness in leprosy 
And it's here, Isaiah, he's almost lifted from the present, isn't he? As he's in the temple to the eternal. This is what he sees. And we see that it totally overwhelms him. Isaiah meets with God. A holy God saves. A holy God also judges. So when we meet God, we must be cleansed before them. But let's look at this passage together. The first thing that Isaiah really sees is an everlasting king. An everlasting king in verses 1 to 4. Here, Isaiah has gone to the temple, part of his normal walk with the Lord. He would have gone to the temple. And on this particular occasion, suddenly he has an even greater understanding of God and himself. I'm sure we've sat maybe in pews and we've left the service that I understand more of me and more of God today than I, I've ever done before. And well, this is what Isaiah is experiencing too. And well, who is it that Isaiah sees on the throne? Isaiah sees Jesus. Isaiah sees Jesus' glory. So in John chapter 12, uh, here Jesus has entered Jerusalem. He has started, it's a Palm Sunday, so it's leading up to the week of his death. And John is commenting that Jesus is doing all these signs, but the people aren't believing Jesus. The people who should know who the Messiah is and looks like, they don't get Jesus at all. They do not believe in him. And and they did not believe, partly to fulfill scripture. The Lord said that he would not believe, and they would not believe. And John quotes examples from Isaiah in that chapter. And then he says and comments, Isaiah saw his glory being Jesus. Isaiah saw his glory. And then in John, in Revelation, who is it that John sees on the throne? Revelation chapter 1, the Son of Man. It is Jesus. Isaiah sees Jesus' glory, and he sees Jesus' glory as the throne over all. Isaiah sees the throne over all things, a throne that is high and exalted. Do you remember over the previous chapters, we talked about the hills you know, who had the, big, the God in the biggest hill was the, the most important God. Well, here, Isaiah is saying God high and exalted over all things. God is sovereign. He rules over everything. And it's you know, one of the reasons the pulpit's raised is that we're under the God's word. And here, Isaiah is standing under God. He rules over everything. And what an encouragement that would have been for Isaiah, do you not think? As he looks around Jerusalem and it is utter chaos, as he lives among the unfaithful people, as he goes and visits the palace and tells them, you need to believe in the Lord. You need to have him as your your king, not yourself as king, with all the difficult situations that Isaiah would face, all the difficult situations we face in seeking people, reach people for Jesus. In it all, there's one God, high and exalted, ruling over it all. Ruling over it all. And here as he sees this throne, uh, and this train of a robe, it's like Diana's veil, it went on and on and on. Here's a, it's going to fill the temple. Just God's presence is overflowing from the temple into the world. Uh, and this, he, uh, Isaiah sees these seraphs. Again, a picture from Revelation, these angelic beings. Uh, and here they have to cover their own eyes. Why do they cover their own eyes? Because the glory of God is so great. They are, they're flying, they're hiding their feet. They almost have to hide themselves from the glory of God. So in Exodus, do you remember Moses gets a glimpse of God's glory? He only gets the, the back of God, but he, is, he has to shield himself from it. And the people have to shield themselves from Moses because his face was shining so much. And here are these creatures doing the exact same thing because of God's glory, because he is a throne that is over all, thing, all things. Worship 
ought to exalt God, shouldn't it? All our worship should be exalting him, not, not man, because that is what Isaiah sees. He sees Jesus on the throne. Jesus standing and ruling over all things. And as Isaiah is there, as he sees this picture, he hears this noise. And what is it that he sees and hears? It's God's holiness. It's so simple, yet it's so important. Isaiah sees and hears all about God's holiness. Holy, holy, holy. God's holiness and glory. God is utterly pure. Not tainted in any way. And this is an essential attribute of God. An essential characteristic that God is holy. Revelation 4 is repeated again. Here, he says, God belongs in a category all by himself. He is creator. No one else is a creator. We're all created beings. God is holy. No one else is holy. It is only God. He's all by himself in it. And everywhere where we look, we see God's wisdom and power displayed. That is what they're crying out. The earth is filled with his glory. Jesus is to be precious to us. We're reminded of that today. Frank said that Jesus in his preciousness, that's the very essence and the definition of precious is God himself. And well, God's holiness is exactly who God is. Not that you can have a picture of God, but if you looked up holy in the dictionary, it would be a picture of God. And here is Jesus is to be really precious to us. And God's holiness is never less than fully holy. God's holiness never runs out. It never runs dry. It is who he is. It's constantly overflowing into this world. God's holiness in all of his beauty. He is holy in nature. That is just who he is. The cause of all things that are holy. God made himself a holy people. How did he make himself a holy people? Because he poured out grace on his people to make them not unclean, but clean. Everything that is holy is of God. And God is holy and set apart from sin. That's what this means. Because of his holiness, God must hate sin. God must hate it. God's holiness indicates to us his absolute moral purity. He's to distance himself from the unholy. That's why there's a curtain in the temple. In sin, we are away from him. It's the only description of God here in holy, holy, holy. That's like three times. And we know this, but it's to give that idea of God is really, 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 really holy. Really holy. And it's to remind Israel and it's to remind us that God's holiness is something we need to think about and to be aware of. It is of enormous spiritual significance to us. And is it really important for us it also serves as a warning to us. God's holiness is a central marker in dividing himself from everybody else, every sinful human creature in this fallen world. God is perfectly holy. He is the source and standard of all holiness, and it is rooted solely in him. God's holiness carries danger too. It's with great fear within Israel to get too close to God. If they got too close to God, they'd be overwhelmed by his holiness and be struck down. God's presence is to be a, a great comfort for Israel as they, they move through the wilderness, as they are to be in the land. But God's holiness is a great threat to unholy lives. Most often in the Old Testament, they needed a mediator to go meet with God. 
It originally was Moses, then it became the priests, allowed in the Holy of Holies once a year. Uh, And while God is holy, and we are utterly separated from that. But who is it that Isaiah sees in the throne? It's Jesus. And whenever we see Jesus in Scripture, well, we see God's pure, untainted holiness in him too. Because it's only by the merits of Jesus, because he is ultimately fully holy and fully God and fully man, that we can be unholy, yes. But we are made holy by him. God's holiness demands justice, and that justice will be poured out at the end of our lives if we're not trusting in Jesus, or it's already poured out on Jesus. Our unrighteous, unholy lives, Jesus takes, and God pours out his wrath and justice in him. We see God's holiness in the very death of Jesus. Everything about God's holiness, we see it in the very death of Jesus because we see Christ dying on the cross. We see his utter humiliation in so many ways. It's because God in his holiness is bringing justice. He hates sin. And he deals with it, guys. He deals with it so that we might live. Here is Jesus, the walking fulfillment of the law, the one who is fully holy, the one who is only without sin. And he dies for us so that we would be holy. God is majestic and great. He is powerful. He is glorious. But he is holy. And this idea of holiness sweeps into verse 4 then as well. Because here there's this echo of this song that Isaiah hears. And while God's presence is there, because the earth shakes, the earth is shaking, God is here. That's an indicator that God has been. So in Matthew's gospel, we're told that when Jesus dies on the cross, what happens? The earth shakes. When when Jesus uh, rises from the dead, what happens? The earth shakes. Why? Because God is there. With this great vision that Isaiah sees, seeing Jesus on the throne, with this sound echoing in his ears, what is his response in it all? Verse 5, woe is me. The effect of seeing the holiness uh, uh, holiness of God for Isaiah is utterly devastating to him. He says, woe is me. He sees the holiness of God, and he's utterly convicted. That is why he cries out, I am ruined. And we ought to be like that, shouldn't we? And we get a glimpse of Jesus on the cross, which we do every Sunday. We ought to say, woe is me. That was my punishment. I am ruined, but for him. We need to see our sin. The more we know God, the more sinful we will feel, the more forgiven and loved we will also feel. God is pure and holy, and that means trouble for sinners, especially if our sins are not atoned for. But here with the Lord on the throne, ruling over all things, this everlasting king, in his holiness we learn of his purity, that he cannot tolerate sin, but he does something about it. And we have this everlasting cleansing, don't we? We have everlasting cleansing in Jesus. Isaiah is crying out in his own sinfulness. He says, here, I am a man of unclean lips. What he means by that? Not quite sure. Maybe it's, you know, what comes out of your mouth, the overflow of your heart. So maybe Isaiah is just, I'm just simply saying, I'm a sinner. And we might think that the burning coal might cause Isaiah more pain. I wouldn't recommend it. 
But Isaiah is more disturbed, not by the pain, but by his sin, his lack of holiness. Here, Isaiah's sin is taken away. Here, the, the fire of judgment is applied to him, if you like, and it's taken away. It's obviously a spiritual transaction that's going on. But here, what do we have to remember? What does Isaiah remember? Yes, there's everlasting cleansing, but two very simple things. We and Isaiah are sinners. We are people of unclean lips, unclean hearts. If God is to use his people, well, we must be cleansed. And sin is atoned for, not by a burning coal, but God is merciful to us, isn't he? He sends Jesus on the cross, and that is showing God is merciful. That's what we need to know. For this everlasting cleansing, we are sinners, but God is so merciful. Here, a seraph takes a coal and touches Isaiah's lips. Hot coals were used in the Holy of Holies, in the temple, on the altar, on the Day of Atonement. So here's this coal being taken. And Isaiah, what has happened before the cleansing? What has happened before the cleansing? Let's get the order correct. Isaiah sees the glory of the Lord, and he says, I am a man of unclean lips. And then God makes him clean. And then God makes him clean. We need to confess our sin in order that we might have grace. Sin is atoned for through the blood of Jesus. And he takes the initiative to forgive our sins. We see his glory. We respond and say, I am a sinner. And we are forgiven. Everlasting king. Everlasting cleansing available to us. And then thirdly, an everlasting message in verses 9 to 13. Who's going to go? Look at the question there. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Who's going to go? Last month, or maybe two months ago now, the United States left Afghanistan. And Joe Biden in his press conference afterward quoted Isaiah chapter 6. So this is what he said. Hopefully it's going to be on the screen. So this has taken the American troops out of Afghanistan. He says this. The American military has been answering this call for a long time. Here I am, Lord, send me. Biden continues, each one of these women and men of our armed forces are the heirs of that tradition of sacrifice and of volunteering to go into harm's way to risk everything, not for glory, not for profit, but to defend what we love and the people we love. Okay. Is verse 8 about war? No, it's not. He has taken it completely out of context. See, and people can do that, can't they, in Scripture so often. Who are we going to send? What is this about? This is about going, and in a sense, going to war, but not going to Afghanistan, but going to share this everlasting message. Biden is wrong. There's one about Trump in a couple of weeks' time too. But in this phrase that we read in verse 8, who is going to go? Isaiah has seen God's holiness. He has seen his own sin. He finds forgiveness in God, and he calls out. God calls out who's going to serve him, a demand that God makes of us. Who is going to go? It has to be us. It's a demand that God makes in each of us to go and share this everlasting message locally, internationally. God knows Isaiah is going to be a prophet. 
God is asking for a person because God wants Isaiah to tell the people about his everlasting grace and mercy. And God, we know, wants people to reach the world today through the Great Commission, and he wants to reach people through people. It's not as if God doesn't know who his people are or where they are at, but God is waiting for people to go. Isn't it so strange? This God who is this everlasting king on the throne, the one full of glory and splendor and majesty and power and the holiness says, unholy people, sinners, saved by grace, you go. You go and tell locally, internationally, I am looking for people to serve me. What a great privilege we have. We have the life giving words of Jesus. We have the life-saving words of him. And we have so much to share this everlasting message. The message doesn't change. In Isaiah's day, it was to believe in the Lord that his promised Messiah would come and take away sin. And what is it today? The people have believed in the Lord Jesus because he takes away sin. What a great privilege it is that we have. But we know the context of which Isaiah is in, don't we? We know it's also difficult. But look at verses 9 and 10. Look at what God says. God says, go and tell the people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Sounds pretty dire, that, doesn't it? Because we know that people aren't going to listen to Isaiah. But what happens next? Otherwise, they might see with their ears, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn to be healed. See, that first part is maybe not particularly encouraging for Isaiah because there are men and women in Isaiah and Jerusalem who will be hardened by what he has to say. They will reject the everlasting message. And that is also the case today. Men and women, when they hear the gospel, their hearts will be hardened to God's message of salvation. In John's gospel, that's that picture in chapter 12 again, that's the ex, God, uh, John explaining why the, the Pharisees and Sadducees and so on are rejecting God because they hear the word, but their hearts are hardened. They were looking, these are those in cha- John chapter 12 where people looking for Messiah but refused to see Jesus. And well, we can apply these verses today, to, today, to today, can't we? We can say the words, people who do not believe, quite simply because they cannot believe. God's Spirit has not unlocked their hearts. They have calloused hearts. That's what uh, God says to Isaiah. These people have calloused hearts. Make the hearts of these people calloused. They're hardened. They're getting harder and harder. Yesterday morning, the elders gathered to, to pray and to meet. And Gordon shared one verse from Acts 16, from Lydia's conversion. And it's, it sums it up here. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. We're out there, calloused hearts, hard hearts. What can we do? Well, our end is we share the good news of Jesus. Okay? But who is it that opens their heart? Who is it that softens their heart? It's not the, the bag of sweets that we give along with the track. It's the Lord who opens our hearts, their hearts. There is a spiritual blindness in Jerusalem uh, and when we will speak in this world, some will not understand. They will only ever understand by the work of God. 
That's why in the second half it says that they would be turned and be healed. It's only God can do this turning. It's only God can do this healing. And while we have a message for today to share, don't we? The message has not changed. Isaiah is called by God to go into a generation of people in Jerusalem who are idol worshippers, who are utterly corrupt in every way, who are selfish, who are adding more and more things to their life to make themselves seem better or great. And we've seen over the last number of weeks, haven't we, how alike Jerusalem is to today. How many sins that are highlighted in the first five chapters are the sins of our own hearts and the, the, the people of our community and our society. And Isaiah, despite it all, all, so many people against him, he's called to share this everlasting message with the people of his generation, even when they have hard hearts. If someone has a hard heart, or you perceive them to have a, have a hard heart, that does not excuse you from sharing the gospel. Isaiah has to keep going and keep going. For some, as we share it, it will push them further away from God. Hearts will become hard, but some will turn. For Isaiah, some would turn uh, through this exile and these latter verses. Uh, how long, O oh Lord, will I go on doing this? How long? Until it's all over. Until the exile is away. And you see, God, uh, Isaiah's calling is not to success as the world sees it, but the faithfulness. He is to go and to go and to go. He accepts this really difficult commission. How do we know? Well, because we're sitting reading the Bible today. And our Christian calling is to, to go and to share faithfully. That's what we are to do. We have this everlasting message to share with Jesus. But there's also here, isn't there, an everlasting people? The very last verse we, we've come to uh, over the last couple of weeks about a, a stump, a remnant of people and here in the very last verse, that they will, there will be stumps that are cut down. But what else is there? The holy seed will be in the stump in the land. There's a seed. That seed will grow and grow and grow. There's a remnant of people that will continue to follow the Lord. There will be some, as Isaiah speaks, who will turn and hear. They will trust in the Lord Jesus. Here Isaiah knows that this everlasting message is to bring about an everlasting people. We don't know who they are. We don't, but we have to go, and we have to share, knowing that God is faithful to all that he says in his word. The inhabitants of Jerusalem will be taken away into exile, but despite them being utterly decimated, losing all of God's promises, it seems, there's still this glimmer of hope. Those cities will be destroyed and people taken away. God keeps himself a remnant. No matter how bad society gets, no matter how sinful we perceive the world to be, no matter the number of killings that is going on in the world where missionaries are escaping Ethiopia as we speak, no matter how bad we might think it is, there's an everlasting people. God will always secure to himself his own people, a people that are utterly secure. We have to go and to find them, to share the good news of Jesus. God is glorious and holy, and we are sinful and dirty. We see his holiness in creation all around us. We see his holiness as we reflect on our lives that we know we cannot reach his, his standards. 
And we need to see God's holiness. And there's a correct response to seeing God's holiness. And that's just to continue day by day to come to Jesus. God is merciful, but he does give us hope. There's an everlasting king, Jesus on the throne, who provides that everlasting cleansing for sinners like me and you in order that we would go as be a part of this everlasting people, a remnant that will carry on through the end of time so that we would share the message, that everlasting message of people would turn and hear of God's holiness, power, and glory. Let us respond to God in prayer. Let's pray. 